National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. As midterm elections are only one month away, pollsters are taking a pulse on what's important to voters, and they're gauging how they intend to cast their ballots. EWTN News has commissioned polls of Catholic voters, and here on Register Radio, we examine the latest poll data that shows that confidence in President Joe Biden has pummeled, and the economy is on the top of voters' minds. We'll also look at the consistent way weekly mass-going Catholics stand out in their views from the general Catholic population. We'll talk to Loretta Brown and Matthew Bunsen for that segment, but then we'll turn to something a little lighter and yet somehow much deeper, art, culture, and eternal perspectives with K.V. Turley, the Register's UK correspondent. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. I'm your host here on Register Radio. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, uh, my co-host, but also Executive Editor for EWTN News and the Washington Bureau Chief. Um, Matthew is in studio with Loretta Brown in the Washington, D.C. Uh, studio. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. It's great to be with you, and it's always great to have Loretta in studio. Matthew, you know, I think it's important to talk about why EWTN um, is doing polls, and how long have we been doing this? Uh, well, this is uh, our second uh, group of polls. Uh, the, the first was the 2020 election cycle. So our very first poll with Real Clear Opinion Research was in November of 2019. One of the things we wanted to do, one of the reasons we got involved is we wanted to track how practicing Catholics, that is, you know, those who go to Mass regularly, weekly, hold different views than the general Catholic population. And, and I think that's an important thing to try to get a grasp on because that's not something other polls often will do. Um, so it's, it's, in, it's unique um, and very important, I think, that these polls uh, that we're doing with uh, Real Clear Opinion Research, um, you know, try to, to narrow down those particular uh, Catholic voters. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if we're looking at uh, being a service uh, to the, the general population, especially to Catholics everywhere, uh, one of the great values of these polls is to understand where Catholic voters stand. Mm -hmm. Historically, Catholics have been a pretty formidable political bloc. Uh, does that still hold true? Uh, in many ways, it does not in the sense of a, a solid sort of monolithic bloc. But Catholics, as we have seen both in 2020, as we are seeing now apparently, but uh, also in the modern political era, have played a very significant role in deciding not just who wins control of Congress, but who's going to be living in the White House for four years. Right, right. Well, let's jump in. So just to kind of set um, an, an idea of, of when this was done, you, you mentioned it was um, the second of the polls. Uh, it's EWTN News in partnership with Real Clear Opinion um, Research, and, and it was done by the Trafalgar Group, a new group for us, uh, September 12th through 19th. Uh, right. it's, it surveyed um, 1,581 <laughs> Catholic voters. And, of course, I mean, all polls have a margin of error. So this is a 2.5, which is a very acceptable uh, percent uh, of error. Um, the questionnaire, um, important to say, was, was, was not just by email. It was phone calls. It was text, um, email, and, and just online. So mm -hmm. um, various ways we tapped into people. And, and so we pretty much trust the results, and, and we'll kind of get into it now. The headline for the analysis piece, Matthew, that you wrote 
um, for for the register uh, was Biden's popularity among Catholic voters uh, plummets. So this is this is kind of the news that we picked out. Um, it was pretty big news. Um, what are we seeing? What's the trend that we're seeing related to President Biden's popularity? Well, the easiest way to put it is that uh, we are seeing now uh, a reverse image of where uh, President Biden was in 2020. Uh, and that is that uh, heading into the election, uh, we found that uh, he had an overall approval among Catholics of about 52%, negative around 46%. Now it is uh, to look at it and sort of rounding out things, 52% of Catholic voters say they either disapproved or strongly disapproved of the job that he's doing and 46% either approved or strongly uh, approved. Notably, that strong disapproval number is actually significantly higher than those who strongly approve. So there, there isn't, um, based on this polling anyway, there is not a lot of passionate uh, support for him, but there is uh, very strong negative uh, views of him. Uh, so that's potentially something to track as we move closer to the midterms. And then when we asked Catholics if he should run for a second term, uh, the findings were that uh, a majority of Catholics, I think about 58 percent, said no, he should not run. Now, we asked the same question about uh, former President Trump, and an even higher number, about 67 percent of Catholics, said no, he shouldn't run either. So I, there's apparently a desire on the part of Catholic voters uh, to have a clean slate sort of yeah, speaking new chapter, in 2024. Yeah. Let's turn some pages, please. <laughs> Maybe a yeah. whole book. <laughs> that's, that's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. You, you noted in your analysis that um, the Hispanic vote had, uh, had changed a bit, and, and usually, historically, Hispanic Catholic voters... Uh, uh, are supporting Biden, but but they're uh, they've backed away a bit. Well, that's right, and and this is a bit of a change even from our polling in July. Uh, we are seeing nationally in different polls uh, that the Hispanic vote has been shifting away from the Democratic Party. Uh, President Biden right now has a fifty percent approval among uh, Latinos, mm-hmm. uh, which is abnormally high, or say, I would say that it's, uh, it's higher than, uh, it, it's lower, I should say, than one would expect. Typically, as you note, uh, the Hispanic vote is very reliable for the Democratic Party. In this case, we're seeing a certain seepage. Uh, there's a decline in support in much the same way that the, that the president uh, has declined among Catholic voters that is also then presenting something of a drag uh, down ticket. Uh, in the midterms. So right now, for example, across the board for Catholic voters, it's about uh, 49-44 or so uh, among Catholic voters, whether they would support Republicans versus Democrats with the Republicans holding a lead. Among Latinos or Hispanic Catholic voters, uh, that is uh, almost tied now. It's about 45-44 for Hispanic voters as they try to decide. Uh, So the Democrats have only about a one-point lead uh, among Latino or Hispanic Catholic voters. That could prove very significant in some of these tight key districts uh, for Congress and in some of the states where there's a sizable Latino population. Yeah, so we need to talk in another segment about all of the, you know, the races that are are very important, um, as, you know, in key places, especially where there are abortion-related um, amendments on the ballot and, and all of that kind of stuff. We'll do that in another place. But I want to bring Loretta on. Um, uh, I'm going to make um, kind of a, a general statement about um, the, the, the poll and 
the issues of concern, and we're not going to go into to, to great detail here, but uh, key among uh, the issues that Catholics are, are interested in or how they're um, weighting issues um, is inf- inflation came out, you know, in every segment of the population, except for, I think, the black Catholics. They, they chose health care, which I thought was very interesting. But um, most segments thought that inflation or economy, which those were kept separate as in the list, were the most important issues of the day. And other issues really trailed by a, uh, um, by a lot. So I think it was 10% um, thought that abortion was the highest issue. Um, and right under that, 9% thought immigration. Am I reflecting that correctly, uh, Matthew? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, within uh, the Catholic vote, uh, so-called, uh, African-American Catholics have remained very much committed to the president with such incredibly high support, but 90 percentile among African-Americans. So it's not a surprise that uh, uh, their interests and their concerns as, as issues would fall really within uh, would be many of the primary concerns that we have seen in traditional democratic voting blocks. Right. So, Loretta, you just did a story about these abortion views that are revealed here in in our poll, um, as well as what was revealed about um, uh, transgenderism and and the real push um, uh, with the transgender agenda that we see in the Biden administration and the Democratic Party. Um, what were some of the highlights uh, that you picked out and discussed with your sources um, for your story? Yeah, I think there were just a couple of things that were so interesting when you, you dug into the details here, right? So, um, you know, when you ask about, oh, do you agree with Roe versus Wade or not, both the average Catholic voter and the, you know, average U.S. voter will will be cut pretty split with a slight um, leaning of, of disagreeing with, with Roe versus Wade being overturned. What was interesting, though, is in, in this poll we went and asked about uh, where they would place limits on abortion, and the vast majority of Catholic voters, 86.5%, favored some sort of limit on abortion, and um, well over half favored um, limits um, past past 15 weeks of pregnancy. And and that's very much in line, you know, as I pointed out in my story and, and as I heard from folks I chatted with about this, it's very much in line with the, the average U.S. voter. And what's so interesting about that is the Biden administration, um, in their rhetoric about abortion, they, they're very much talking about, oh, you know, we just need to codify Roe and we need to ensure abortion access. And they act as though this is very mainstream, right? But, you know, they go and, and back this legislation that would – we would not let states uh, limit abortion. This Women's Health Protection Act would, um, you know, bar almost any state limitation on abortion. Um, you know, even, even after fetal viability, they, it, it wouldn't allow uh, a limit on abortion if, you know, if a medical provider deems it necessary in that scenario. So – it's really interesting to, to look at these views and see, like, you know, you can say, okay, maybe a, a lot of Catholics, um, I think it was, it was yeah, it was 47.8% uh, disagreed with Roe being overturned. That was what they said. But, you know, and then 46.2% uh, agreed with Roe being overturned. So, as I said, yeah, pretty pretty split with some people not sure. But then when you really ask about where they place limits, it's not in line with Roe, right? The reasoning of Roe is 
um, you know, fetal viability, you maybe can, can start to regulate it, things a little bit, but it's, um, you know, very permissive on <laughs> abortion being accessible. And so um, I think that's just a trend we see in abortion polling is that people don't realize what Roe meant and what the yes. deal was beforehand. I, I, I agree. And that's, it's really um, frustrating that basically 46% believe that Roe um, uh, agreed with Roe and 47 disagreed. So people are very divided on that, but they're very sure about limits. They don't understand all of the different um, uh, uh, types of limits very well. And so I think it's important for us as Catholics to talk about what these limits are and to make sure we understand that what um, is currently being promoted by the White House and, and some Democrats is very extreme. It's so far beyond Roe that we really need to make ourselves aware. So here we are talking about <laughs> how to use, <laughs> um, you know, the poll data um, so that we can um, can help educate, um, uh, you know, our readers on, on what is happening here. Well, we are out of time. It's a fascinating topic, and we've been covering it at ncregister.com. I invite our listeners to go to ncregister.com and look at the top. There is a midterm elections uh, click. You can go to all of our stories there and, and find these stories and more. So please go to ncregister.com to find that. Loretta and Matthew, uh, thanks for highlighting the key points of this latest survey. You're listening to Register Radio on EWTN. We're taking a short break, but when we come back, I'll talk to Register correspondent KV Turley about art and culture and how that can point us to heaven in the least expected ways sometimes. Stay tuned. Bishop James Conley talks about the National Catholic Register. I've been reading the Register for over 40 years, and I can tell people with absolute conviction that it's the best periodical out there. They're honest, they're true, and they give a great perspective. It's important to be able to have a news source like the National Catholic Register where we can go to and make sense and decipher what's going on around us. It also engages the imagination. If you really want to be an informed Catholic, you got to read the National Catholic Register. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. While you're waiting on your first issue, be sure to enjoy our content online. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. We were just talking about midterms, polls, opinions on topics like abortion and transgenderism. This stuff dominates the news. But there's an equal fascination in our audience for popular culture and the arts. We covered that too at the Register, and that's why I've invited K.V. Turley to join me on this segment. KV is the Register's UK correspondent. He writes from London, um, but he's also been host for EWTN on the show Turley Talks and Euro Express. Uh, he's an author as well, a co-author, in fact, with Fiorella De Maria, the novel on the novel. 
this thing of darkness, a fiction about horror movie star Bella Lugosi, and it was published in 2021, and there was a registered radio show on that, so you can go back and search for it. But he had another book in 2014 that he authored uh, called Father Willie Doyle and World War I, A Chaplain's Story. Uh, KV's work has always fascinated me because it touches upon culture and the arts. It's something I love deeply, and, and so that's part of what we're going to talk about here. KV, welcome back to Register Radio. Jeanette, it's a privilege uh, and a great pleasure to be with you once more. KV, your work, as I mentioned in this you know, short bio, and your writings at the Register always prove <laughs> that you are a great storyteller. I mean, you chronicle people's lives, and it seems in these um, writings for the Register, and even in our discussions in editorial meetings, um, you you always um, are looking for meaning in people's stories, but also uh, kind of the cultural events of the day. Uh, and people seem to love to listen to these ideas and, and this chronicling. What has impelled you in your life, um, in your profession, uh, in this gift of sh- storytelling, why do you do it? There are a number of stories which have become the mainstream, the way in which uh, conversation is had culturally in our culture. They're often about people's lives. Uh, people like Elvis or Marla Monroe, who are often held up as these kind of uh, icons. They've, they've appropriated the word, the secular icons of our age. And I think it's very important that Christians, that Catholics are engaging in that debate but coming at it with the eyes of faith. Mm-hmm. And in the eyes of faith, people like Elvis, people like Marilyn, uh, or events like Roswell, which got a lot of play this year and it's on its 75th anniversary. These events need to be explored through the eyes of faith because there is nothing, as St. Paul tells us, that will separate us from the love of God. And through these lives, through these events, what I'm trying to do in my writing is bring people closer to Christ using things which are familiar to them. Something that St. Jose Maria Escriba used to say in, in a lot of his writings or the books that have come from his writings make an emphasis on is a supernatural outlook. Cool. <laughs> you know, that that's what we should have in our lives is a supernatural outlook. Um, not only in the events of our own life, but to interpret the world around us. Is that kind of what you're speaking about? Totally. Uh, I think it's, a, it's a, I mean, we are called as Christians, to be mystics in this world. And that's not some sort of tin can mysticism or people having private visions or something, but it's to see the world through the eyes of Christ, to see the world through the redemption wrought on Calvary and the resurrection that followed. Everything else is a footnote to that. And we have to see the world and everything through that dimension. And what I'm trying to do in my writing is help the reader to start to see the wondrous Christian dimension of the world that we live in that was created by our loving God. So, you know, you mentioned um, stories about Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe. You've written about Bruce Springsteen, um, Charlie Chaplin. You know, all of these people have come into your writings, much of it this year, where, you know, you've been throwing these wonderful pieces um, at us at, at the register and I wouldn't even say wonderful. I guess that's a wrong adjective. They, they've been kind of sad stories in some ways, um, but they do give us this wonderful perspective of a supernatural outlook. For example, the feature that you wrote on, uh, on Elvis most, most recently is uh, 
uh, an anniversary of his death, and you wrote, checking out of Heartbreak Hotel, right? And for Marilyn Monroe, as we reflected on an anniversary of her death even, um, Marilyn Monroe's longing for a father's gaze. Like, these are some sad stories. What do we learn from them? If you take Marilyn's story, what you read is, I mean, Marilyn is the great uh, recipient of so much of the male gaze. And yet what she really needed was a paternal uh, gaze, a loving gaze, not just a lustful gaze, which was, was the way of the world. And, if you, and then when you break that down, and when I, when I was researching her life, there was this thread of the fact that she was, a, you know, her mother, the father walked out on her as a child and she was left alone. She was in an orphanage in Hol- near Hollywood beside a RKO Studios, in fact. And she used to have a picture of Clark Gable on her wall and say to all the other children, this is my daddy, this is my daddy. And then all through her life, and even if you look at some of the marriages and the men she married, she's looking for this father figure all her life. Uh, and even, you know, she ended up appearing in a film with Clark Gable, at, at the last film that she completed. It's this absence of a father through all her life. I'm not morbidly looking at her life in any sense, because there's enough written about her in that sense. What I'm trying to say is that for somebody reading it, it might be that think about the woman you're with, whether it's a daughter, whether it's a wife, whether it's a mother, and think of that gaze, think of that paternal need, that need to be loved, which is what is universal in the story. So I'm trying to look for the universal elements in these figures which are universal in a sense, but trying to interpret it from a Christian perspective. Because if she had known the love of Christ, if she had known the love of Father, the Christian understanding of that, her life might have been very, very different. So it's not always, of course, these sad stories um, that you've written about. Sometimes when what you're writing about are people whose lives do reflect the Christian vision in their profession, you, you wrote about a musician, a composer, a Catholic composer who um, is from Tennessee and, and is, has been recently named the Tennessee Laureate. Uh, this na- his name, I think, is Michael Curick. Uh, tell That's us a little bit about, about uh, Mr. Curick. Uh, well, Michael came into my orbit um, through some mutual friends, and um, I was very interested in what he was trying to do because he's trying to do, I I guess, through classical music, what I was trying to do in writing, which is to embrace the culture, but also to bring a very, very Christian perspective to it. And Michael is roughly the same age as me. And Michael, you know, is a revert to the faith. And he's come back to the faith in a way that, uh, or sorry, being converted to the faith in a way which is really, really interesting, because one of the other things that, that, that you're alluding to is a number of these people have either come through reversions to the faith or conversions to the faith. And I think it's wonderful that in this creative world, we have people like Michael, who are 100% Catholic, but want to really participate in the cultural life of his state and of his nation. And, and not to think of us as being in some Christian ghetto, cultural ghetto or artistic ghetto, but something which is as good, if not better, than what the world offers, because we have the light of Christ as well in our hearts. 
Uh, KV, I just love our conversations. <laughs> um, we mentioned, you know, as we were planning this, that we were going to do a 12-minute a segment, and, and we could talk on this for 12 hours, you remarked. And I think that's so true. I, I love these conversations. Um, one of the things you wrote about recently, and you mentioned it, was this Roswell event, and that was a yeah. UFO crash yeah. Um, at, in 1947, and uh, this kind of came back into view this year as people were looking looking back at this event. There's always UFO crazes. I mean, I, I, I think you you feel one way or the other about um, uh, uh, extraterrestrial life, right? My husband's all into it, and I'm kind of never think about it. Um, but I know priests and religious, and um, I think of Archbishop Shapu, uh, for whom I worked, and and he, we used to have discussions about uh, whether there was life out there besides, you know, human life and on, on Earth, whatever. Um, you've approached this subject a few, in a few stories. Um, what have you learned? How should we think about stuff like UFOs or, or extraterrestrial life? Well, first of all, I want to thank you and Tom and everybody at the Register that allows me to write on these subjects because there are Catholic periodicals that say that this is this is tacky stuff you shouldn't be touching it. <laughs> I, I, I take the opposite view, which is this, that uh, 75th anniversary of Roswell, there was a lot of coverage, UK, US, about this, right? Now, whatever your views on it, that's fine. So I go and I interview a few people about it. But what I'm really interested in is the real Roswell event, which actually happened in 1948, not 1947. And that is when the uh, poor Clare contemplative nuns set up their home, their monastery in Roswell. And I thought it'd be really interesting to find out what the sisters thought of that. And Mother Mary Angela was wonderful to me, gave me so much time. It's unbelievable because they're very busy, these sisters, right? And um, their take on the whole Roswell phenomena, which is in the article, is fascinating because what it, what she really does is she says, well, we don't know what happened. Nobody really knows. And she makes a very salient point, which is that the key actors are now more or less all dead. So we're never going to know. And whether it's a cover up or whether it's flying saucers, who knows? But then she says, but there was another incident 2000 years ago in a desert very similar to Roswell, New Mexico desert. And it was an incident where there were extraterrestrials, namely angels. There were unidentified lights, namely the Star of David, the Star of Bethlehem. And there was something even more mysterious than a crash-landed flying saucer. And that was the incarnate word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the beginning of a mystery that is not only fascinating, but life-giving. And it was the way she said that I thought, this is it. This is why we talk about these things. Because, you know, again, kudos to the register. The headline was, enclosed nuns tell us the secret of Roswell. They told us the secret of Roswell. And I hope somebody passing by thought, what's all that about? Would read it and then start to think, wait a minute, Roswell is fine and good as a mystery. But this is a much better mystery. Absolutely. And, and not only... <laughs> Um, is it life-changing, this side of Earth, right? It's, it's eternal life-giving, so, and I think that's our purpose, right? Is to point so. people to what is lasting. Well, as always, KV, I love your perspective, um, the way you help us to look um, for eternal perspectives. Um, and we could talk for hours, but our, our show has ended. I invite our listeners uh, to look for K.V. Turley 
at ncregister.com and there you will find uh, these insights on art, culture, and eternal perspectives. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN Radio. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, God bless you.